shooting that video. And Caden is actually in here. Can we give a hand to Caden one more time? That was absolutely incredible watching him almost like go into a trance as he was uh, reciting that. And we got done with the video and he said, you know what? I think I mixed up a couple of numbers. Can we go back and watch that? I'm like, Caden, no one is going to know. No one is going to know, man. Uh, That's uh, amazing. I I actually sent that video um, on to Mark Moore, who's the author of Core 52, the the book that we're going to be going through. And he immediately shot back. He's like, that was amazing. He sent it on to his publisher, uh, to a handful of other churches. And uh, so that was, that was really neat. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about Core 52 as we're jumping into that on, on September 12th. Don't forget, go out, get a book. Uh, we're going to be preaching through these core verses. We're gonna, our, our, our life groups are going to be talking about them. Uh, we're we're going to be asking you to, to engage with them through memorization, through studying those. And so we just really hope that you will, will join us um, on this kind of journey over the next, uh, the next year, starting in September. And one of the reasons why we're doing this, it's, it's really the same reason why we're doing this diving in series right now. Uh, it's because we, we just have this core belief that, that nothing has greater impact on spiritual growth than personal reflection on scripture. Nothing. I mean, this, what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, it's good when you're with your life groups or Sunday school classes, those are good. But nothing has greater impact on your spiritual growth and development than personal reflection on God's word. And this isn't just anecdotal. Like we're not just kind of looking at some evidence going, well, this seems like it's accurate. Uh, this has actually been proven out. Studies have been done about this. One of uh, the, the biggest ones, it was, it was uh, published in a book called Move uh, about 10, 12 years ago. They surveyed 5,000 churches just to try to find uh, what is it that helps people grow spiritually? What moves them in their journey with, with Christ? And so they were looking for programs that work, ministries that work, sermon styles and worship styles. And what they found uh, was, was this, that, that nothing did it more than personal, personal reflection on God's word. The research showed that church activities like Bible studies and mission trips and attending services, those are all good and those are so important, but they do not drive or predict long-term spiritual growth. And so everything in their studies and in their research pointed back to personal reflection on God's word. Their conclusion was, was this, if churches could do only one thing, that's a pretty strong statement, but if churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, they would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible and reflect on scripture for meaning in their lives. And so that's what we're trying to do. Through the series, through Core 52, we wanna give you the tools to be able to dive into God's word on your own, not just when we come here on Sunday mornings, not just during Bible studies and, and life groups, but, but having that chair time on your own each and every day where you dive in to, to God's word. But for many of us, we know that can also be really intimidating. We open up this book and we're like, I have no idea where to start. We read something, we're like, I don't even know what I, I just read. And so we wanna give you some tools to be able to read and, and study the Bible on your own so that you can know, love, and follow Jesus more. And today, uh, today is, is you know, typically this time, we, we break down a passage and it's like the sermon time, right? Uh, today is a little bit of a, of a hybrid, you know, sermon slash class on Bible study, 
uh, and maybe a lesson. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of walk through what I do when, when I'm doing study of a, of a passage of scripture, whether that be in my own just personal quiet and devotion time, or whether that's even when I'm sitting in my office, um, opening up my Bible to, to write a sermon on, on a passage. So I'm just going to kind of walk you through um, how I study uh, a passage of scripture, not just me, but how many people have found um, over the years to be a useful way to study scripture. So if you have a, a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, uh, we're going to dive into the word together, uh, turn to Philippians chapter two. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30 today. Man, I love when I said that you all reach down to grab Bibles or Bible app. That's awesome. That's exactly what we want uh, to see. I love it. Philippians chapter two. And when it comes to, to Bible study, just, I mean, really like any project or any, anything that you set out to do, having the right tools matters. It's important to have the right tools. And I think the same is true when we, when we enter into Bible study, having the, the right tools is, is important. And there's um, a few that I recommend to anyone who is interested in diving deeper into their personal Bible study. The first one is just a good study Bible. Study Bibles typically have a little bit more reference in them. They, uh, you know, you'll read a verse and then sometimes there's like a commentary, something that explains what that verse means. Uh, I've got a couple of study Bibles that I use pretty regularly. I've got an NIV study Bible. I've got an ESV study Bible. Uh, so people ask quite often, uh, what's the best translation of the Bible? What's the best version? And my answer to that is really, it's the version that you're going to read. Uh, there's a little bit of nuances between them. Uh, all of them are kind of adapted and translated from the original Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And so they all have some kind of interpretation to them just by their nature. Um, but most of them are, are pretty accurate and true to the, the original manuscripts. And so just find the one that you're going to dive into. And if you need help finding a good study Bible, uh, we, we would love to help you find that. So that's, that's the first tool, a good Bible study, uh, a good study Bible. Another tool that I found helpful is, uh, is this little book uh, called How to Read the Bible, book by book, uh, by a scholar named Gordon Fee. Uh, this is such, and an, it's a short book. It is incredibly precise. Uh, I love this tool. It just kind of breaks down every book of the Bible. There's 66 books that make up the Bible, the compilation of our scripture. And each book of the Bible has a chapter. And it starts just by kind of giving you some factual information about that, who wrote it, when they wrote it, what was going on when they wrote it. Give some historical context so that you know kind of the situation or maybe what caused them to write the letter. Uh, and, then, and then it kind of breaks up each book by, by section heading, and it gives a little bit of commentary to that section so that you, you have an idea of, of what you're reading, what it means, how to, how to interpret it. So it's a great tool that I think uh, every person who wants to go deeper in their Bible study should have in their library. The last tool uh, that I want to talk about is not, not necessarily a, a book. It's a series of questions. It comes down to asking the right questions. I, I, my mind immediately goes back uh, to my intro to Bible study class at Lincoln Christian University. I was still practically wet from the baptism. I'd been a Christian for just a couple of weeks, had no idea anything about anything. And, and so I'm sitting in this class, but I remember the professor talking about if you really want to get the most out of your Bible study, you just need to learn how to ask the right questions. 
The more questions you ask of a text, the more you are going to to get out of it. And so here are just a, a few questions that I ask when I study a passage of scripture. The first one is just the five W's, who, what, when, where, why. It's finding that factual information. Uh, you can typically find those in a study Bible or you can find that in that how to read the Bible book by book book. Um, so the, asking those five W's. Uh, number two kind of can be captured by a, a word. It's observation. And so what does the text say? In observation, you're not trying to figure out what does it mean. You're not trying to interpret anything. You're just trying to figure out what does the text say. You read the passage, you observe what's going on, make some notes, write down some questions. Uh, and so you're just trying to find out what does the text say? Number three is interpretation. And that's when you start moving into from, from what does the text say to now what does the text mean? And this is another place where a good study Bible or reference book can come in handy. Uh, scripture was written in a variety of genres, a variety of literary styles, everything from poetry to prophecy. And, and they weren't meant to be interpreted the same way. And, and so a study Bible helps us know the way that it was written and how we, we can in, interpret it. Uh, solid resources like the ones that I've mentioned, the, the Bible Project website, which is a fantastic resource. Uh, BibleGateway.com has tons of, of solid resources on it too. But this is where we tried to determine what the text means based on uh, context and literary style. Number four is correlation. This one's probably my, my favorite. Uh, what other scriptures help explain this one. This is, this is taking the 66 books of the Bible and, and learning what the rest of the 66 books have to say about what you just read. It's looking at other passages to help you understand the one that you are, are reading. Oftentimes, Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture. And so just learning how to, to go around it and see what other passages say about that. And number five is application. What am I going to do based on this passage? So what does it say? What does it mean? What other passages say the same thing? And then what am I going to do? And over the last couple of weeks, we've said that the God who loves you and who wants what's best for you, who wants to provide for you and protect you, he doesn't want you to just listen to his word, but he wants you to do it, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And finding the application to what we just read helps us do what God is instructing us to do through his word. And I've got a, a tool that I use uh, that's, that's kind of fun that I'm gonna show and share with you uh, here in, in just a little bit. So in the time that we have left, I wanna show you how to put these tools to, to work. So let's look at our passage together, Philippians chapter two, 19 through 30. And again, you know, kind of going back, if you missed last week, uh, at, at this point, when I'm sitting down to study or read a passage, I've already done a few things. I've already prayed, God, open my eyes that I may see what you want me to see. Cleanse my heart of sin so that there's nothing in here blocking what you want to do. God, give me humility to then turn and do what your word says, all right? I've already prayed all of those prayers. Uh, I've already done some of that 5W work. And so I know going into Philippians that it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, he was going through like some internal conflict. Uh, Paul was writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome. I mean, that's a pretty big piece of information. That's, that's important to know because it helps us see the lenses through which Paul is writing. And so I know all, all of these things. I know uh, from, from this text and from others, 
that the church in Philippi had sent Paul a gift as well as someone to kind of tend and care for him. And so Paul is writing back to say thanks and to encourage them. So let's look at our text together. Philippians 2, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he is ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, we may read this passage and go, wow, there is really not a lot there, right? Like there's, there's not a whole lot of Instagrammable um, verses in, in this passage uh, to like kind of hang on to. And, and I think on the, on the surface, you'd be right. Like it, this is kind of, this is a personal personal part of Paul's letter back to the Philippians. It's almost like he's got to take care of, of a little bit of, of business here. This doesn't have the same ring to it as to live as Christ, to die as gain that he talks about in verse one or in chapter one. It doesn't have the rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice of, of chapter four. But, but if all scripture is God breathed and useful, then that means that this little personal note from Paul is useful too. And so let's dig into it. And the first thing is just by asking, what does the text say? Observation. And again, in the observation stage, I typically read through a passage two or three times, sometimes different translations, and just kind of make notes of things, ask questions, write down some questions that I want to explore a little bit more. And we can observe from this passage that Paul is sending Timothy and Epaphroditus back to Philippi. We see in verse 25 that Epaphroditus is going back to them. He was the one who brought the, the love offering to Paul that that church had sent uh, to, to take care of Paul. The second thing that we can observe is that Paul endorses these guys as role models. In verse 20, he says that he has no one else like Timothy. And then in verse 29, he says to welcome Epaphroditus with open arms and to honor people like him. And Paul's saying that these guys are special, which naturally makes me wonder what was so special about these guys. And so we dig in a little bit more and observe in verse 20 and 21 that Timothy has taken a genuine interest in the Philippians, even above his own interest. In verse 22, Paul tells us that Timothy has proven himself through trials. In verses 27 through 30, we see that Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life. And so these are just some things that we can observe while we read the, the text. So let's move into interpretation. What, is, what does this text mean? We can start by going back to those characteristics, right? Like we observed as we read through it. 
and see if there's anything that we can learn about what it means uh, to be a godly person. If we want to live a godly life, what can we learn from this section? Uh, it kind of seems to be what Paul is trying to, to emphasize for us. First, Paul says that he has no one else like Timothy because he takes genuine interest in the welfare of others. Even when everyone else is looking out for their own needs, Timothy is looking out for others. And so Paul says here that this is rare. We can glean from this that a godly person is caring. We also observe in our text that Timothy has proven himself. And the way that you prove yourself is when, is when you're tested, is when you go through a, a trial, a difficulty. And so Timothy's faith had been tested and he proved himself to be committed to Christ and to Paul. And so we can t- kind of glean from this that a godly person perseveres through trials. They, they don't give up when their faith is tested. And then Paul turns his attention to Epaphroditus. In verse 25, Paul calls him a brother and a co-worker, a fellow soldier. They had stood shoulder to shoulder in ministry together. They fought for the cause of Christ together. And he says towards the end that, that Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ. He left his home. He left his family. He left his career. He traveled to Rome to be with Paul. And it nearly cost him his life. And we see that a godly person makes sacrifices for others. So we got a general idea of what the text is saying, what it means. And so let's move on to correlation. What other scriptures help explain this one? And again, this is, this is one of my favorite parts of Bible study. So in our interpretation, we saw that a godly person is caring, persevering, sacrificial. The Bible has a whole lot to say about those three characteristics. But let's just kind of focus on that first one, on caring Paul says that, that Timothy is caring because he's genuinely interested in the welfare of others, not just himself. And that reminds me of something that Paul wrote earlier in Philippians chapter two. Go back up to verses three and four. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of others. He says this in verse three and four, and then, and then later he points to Timothy as an example of someone who is living that out. And if I dive in a little bit more in my, my Bible, I've got, a, I've got a reference Bible that I, that I use to preach from. And there's two columns, three columns, I guess, this middle column right here. So the, the outside columns are the, the, the scripture. And then this middle column is just filled with verses. And, and, for so long, I had no idea what those things meant. Maybe you've kind of been there too. But if, I, but if I look in my text, I see these little letters that are above different words throughout the text. And those are reference letters that point to other verses. And so this is how we find what the Bible says about the Bible. And so if I go to verse 21, I see a little R in my Bible. And so I go into that middle column, verse 21, I find the R and it points me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. And so I turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 24, which I just so happen to have marked in my Bible. <laughs> and it says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. It's another place where the Bible helps us understand what does it mean to be a person who cares? Well, it means not seeking your own good, 
but also the good of others. In most reference Bibles and study Bibles, it's also got this thing in the back called a concordance. And that's where you can find different words that are used and maybe where they're used in other places in scripture. And so I go back to care and I find that Proverbs 29, seven is there. So I turn over to Proverbs 29, seven, which I didn't have conveniently marked. I'll just read it from the screen. It says, uh, the, righteous, <laughs> the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. So the takeaway from all of this is that a godly person, a person who is demonstrating the character and the nature of God in their life, that person cares about others, is willing to give sacrificially for others, puts the needs of others even above their own. That includes justice for the poor and the outcasts, the marginalized in the society and around the world. And the reason is because God cares for them. And we could go on. I want to wrap up with, with this. The final step is application. What am I going to do based on what I just read? So think about the text that we have looked at today. Is God calling you, challenging you maybe, to be more caring, to put the needs of your spouse, your child, your grandchild, your neighbor, even above your, your own? Is he encouraging you to persevere through a trial that you're currently experiencing to, to go through the storm and to not give up? Maybe today God is calling you to make a sacrifice for someone, a sacrifice of time or finances for a friend or for a family member who needs you, to, to, to be willing like Epaphroditus to take up your cross and follow Jesus, even if it's going to cost you something for the kingdom of God. For the last few years, I've had a, a bookmark next to my computer and in my Bible that helps me discover how I can apply a passage of scripture to, to my life. Like I said earlier, a good Bible study oftentimes just comes down to asking the right questions. And so this, this bookmark helps me ask questions to pull out what the application might be of, of this, this passage. And so when I read it, I, I find myself asking, is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to, to claim? An attitude to change? A command to obey? an example to follow, a prayer to pray? Is there an error to avoid, a truth to believe, or something to be thankful for? And, and these questions form a fun little acronym, and we've put it on a bookmark that we want to give you today. Uh, the acronym is Space Pets. And uh, so we made a bookmark with some uh, Space Pets on it. Uh, those are actually pets of, uh, of our own Bedwells and, and Griles. Uh, we've got Maddie the dog and Dave the cat uh, <laughs> to help us remember uh, how we can ask questions to apply a text to our life. So be sure to grab one of these bookmarks on your way out today. And so if you look at our text and you just ask these application questions, is there a sin to confess? Maybe. Is there a promise to claim? Not really. Is there an attitude to change? Possibly. Be more caring. Look at your circumstances, maybe in a new way. 
Is there a command to obey? Absolutely. In fact, that's probably the clearest point of application from the passage that we read. Paul tells us to honor people like Timothy and Epaphroditus. There's an example for us to follow in the way that they cared for others and persevered through trials and made sacrifices for Jesus and for others. And so I guess as a way of wrapping up this kind of Frankenstein lesson, sermon, teaching, whatever it is, I'll close with this. Paul tells us to honor people who display these characteristics. And so do you know someone that has a caring heart and puts the needs of others even above their own? Someone who is persevering through a trial right now, not quite sure what is on the other side. Do you know someone who's making a sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for others? They're, they're giving something of themselves for the good of someone else. Paul tells us in our passage that we are to honor people like that. And so this week, I challenge you to put this text into practice. And maybe it's, it, it starts with just honoring the person who's sitting right next to you right now because of the way that they exemplify and live out these characteristics. Maybe it's writing a card to someone, taking someone out to coffee or to lunch, or just giving them a call and saying, thank you for setting an example of what it means to follow Jesus. Whatever you do to honor them. In doing it, you will be applying this passage in your life. And you will be applying what James tells us in chapter one, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. So I hope that you'll take these um, Bible study principles and you'll put them into practice in your life. Why don't you stand with me and I'll close this off with a word of prayer. God, I pray that uh, this morning, something that we, that we talked about will be helpful. Uh, Lord, I, I know so many of us, we just struggle and we wrestle with, with guilt. We know that we should be in your word more. We just don't necessarily know how to do it and we're afraid to, to ask because we feel like we should have those answers. Just pray, Lord, that, that through this series and beyond, Lord, you'll just alleviate those things from us and that we will find all of the life and all the joy that you want us to experience as we dive into your word on our own. Thank you, God, for how you use it to transform us, to change us from the inside out, to make us more and more like, like Jesus. Father, I pray that as we dive into your word in, in ways that have been deeper than we ever have before, that people will come to see more of you in us because of it. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.